Testing one, two. All right. So last week, we talked about the power and importance of faith. This week, we'll see the same, but also the destructive nature of unbelief. We'll be spending our time in Luke chapter 4 and looking at the ministry of Jesus, specifically when he returns to his hometown. Now, the chapter starts off with Jesus's temptation in the wilderness, immediately following his baptism. And then the rest of the chapter tends to focus, or for the most part, it focuses on his time in his hometown. But before we get to that point, there are just two verses that say this. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Now, this could give us the impression that not much took place between Jesus' wilderness temptations and his coming home. But Matthew, Mark, and John tell us otherwise. The news spoken of here in these verses, is it's the news of him turning water into wine, the wedding in Cana, meeting with the woman at the well, healing the man at the pool of Bethesda, and the first time that he cleansed the temple. So Jesus has been traveling around, preaching, teaching, healing, ministering to people, and the word of his miracles is starting to work its way around the region. People at this time were very open, very receptive to him, excited at the news that he might be coming their way. These were the bright and early days of Jesus' earthly ministry, yet a shadow lay ahead. As a child and young man, Jesus had played, worshipped, and worked with and around the people of Nazareth. But since the opening of his earthly ministry, Jesus had been absent from these people. So when Jesus came back into town, all of those familiar faces and voices from his youth, they were excited to see him. There was a high level of anticipation in the air. And as Sabbath came, all eyes were upon him. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. Now, the rabbi or local elder would have delivered the sermon. But before that, any Israelite present would have been able to get up and read the scriptures. The sermon during this time in Israel's history, they were generally focused on the coming Messiah, his glorious reign, and the hope that he would free his people from all of their oppression. And while this was a truth to look forward to, the people's interpretations of this had become skewed over time. There had been a confusion between the Messiah's kingdom of grace which representing his first coming, and the Messiah's kingdom of glory, which represented the second coming. 
So Jesus stood up to read, but notice this. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. So Jesus was, it, it really, it wasn't a book, it was a scroll. He was handed the scroll of Isaiah, and he didn't just read some verses that were assigned to him. No, he sought out and found the place where a specific messianic prophecy was written down. And this is what he read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Amen is right. That's good news. That's good news. Then he closed the book. He rolled the scroll back together and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. Jesus stood before the people as the living fulfillment of the prophetic scriptures that he just read. He spoke of the Messiah as a reliever of the oppressed, a liberator of captives, a healer of the afflicted, restoring sight to the blind and revealing the light of truth to humanity. The hearers on that day were touched with the divine influence that broke down every barrier. But then Jesus continued. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. But then they said, is this not Joseph's son? <laughs> is this not Joseph's son? This isn't in my notes, but I, <laughs> I feel like I need to, to say this. When you share good news, when you live out the gospel through faith, there are people that you come in contact with who knew you as you once were. They knew you as you used to be. And so now all this good news, all this life that is coming out of your mouth, it does not line up with their past experience of you. And it could lead them to question your experience, your gift, your faith, your belief, the new life that Christ has given to you. <laughs> I don't know who needed to hear that, but I just felt like I needed to say that. But here with Jesus's words, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, the people were suddenly called to think of themselves and the claims of Jesus in reading this prophecy to them. They, Israelites, Children of Abraham, the chosen of God, had been represented as being in bondage. They were addressed as prisoners needing deliverance. They were represented as being in darkness and needing light to be shown to them. And with that, their pride was offended and their fears were aroused. 
They desired the coming Messiah to place his focus and his ire on their enemies. But Jesus' words here indicated that his work for them was different than they had initially desired. Now, instead of glorifying, they questioned, who does this guy think he is? Isn't this Joseph's son? Didn't we see him not too long ago in diapers? Wasn't he the one that needed all that extra work on that help on his algebra homework? Who does this guy think he is? Isn't he the one whose birth had suspicious origins? And although they could remember Jesus's life and growth as being spotless, they refused to believe that he could be the promised Messiah. And unbelief takes hold. Jesus' teaching sounded so different from the teachings of their local rabbis and elders. Jesus spoke of freedom, yes, yet he mentioned nothing of delivering them from the Romans who they despise so much. Doubt took root, and the people's hearts hardened against the truth. They'd grown too comfortable with their own beliefs and wanting to hear the same old teachings preached over and over and over. Jesus tried to help them see a different and true image of the Messiah. But the enemy was hard at work setting Christ's hearers into unbelief and doubt. And Jesus, reading their thoughts, decided to help them catch a glimpse of his divinity by saying this, you will surely say this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. He knew what they wanted. They wanted to see the miracles. They wanted to see all this big talk that they'd been hearing about the hometown boy. They wanted it to be shown to them. They knew what they were thinking. <laughs> and so essentially when he says this, they're like, oh, he's reading our thoughts. But instead of being humbled, his hearers became even more hardened. So Jesus continued, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman, the Syrian. Now, the true anger sets in for those that were listening to Jesus. Dear congregation, what two things stand out to you most in these stories that Jesus is sharing. It's, it's really, it's one thing shown two different ways. What stands out in this text? They were foreigners. Jesus is talking about these foreigners 
these enemies, these pagans, but he's talking about them in a positive light. Sidon and Syria were Gentile nations. To a Jewish hero, don't even say those names. The people of these nations were viewed as unclean enemies by the Jewish people. But these two prophets of God were not allowed to labor for a hard-hearted and unbelieving people. The very people of God in these stories were passed over. And it was these two pagans, the widow and Naaman, who had hearts to feel and faith to believe what God wanted to show them. These two foreigners were thus especially favored with evidences of God's mighty power through his prophets Elijah and Elisha. So now, as unbelief and doubt were being taken hold of by the listeners of Jesus, he took the time to remind them that unbelief took hold in Israel of old too. In the days of the prophet Elijah, the people of Israel had grown far from God. Warnings were sent, but they clung to their own ways. So the Lord passed by Israel and found a place of refuge for his prophet in a pagan land. The widow who took Elijah in was not a member of God's chosen nation, yet she was highly favored by God for living up to the small bit of light that she'd received. You could say that she was eating the crumbs from the table. And her heart was open and receptive to even greater light. In a similar way, in the days of Elisha, the lepers of Israel were passed over. Yet God saw Naaman, a pagan nobleman, had been faithful to the convictions of his heart and admitted his own great need. His humble heart was receptive to the gift of God's merciful grace. He was not only healed of the leprosy that took hold of his physical body, but he came to know the one true God and found spiritual wholeness as well. So these words that Jesus spoke to his own people within that synagogue 2,000 years ago, it cut into their self-righteous mentalities and revealed the bitter truth that they too had let unbelief take hold, just like their ancestors of old. Their unbelief soon led to anger and malice. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city, and they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. These people had prided themselves in keeping the whole law of God. But now that their prejudices and natural, national pride were offended, they were ready and willing to break the law and commit murder. As we've been reading this story, the tension has been building. And it's now risen to a fever pitch 
and you would expect the climax to come. But I love what happens next. Then passing through the midst of them, Jesus went his way. (laughs) This screams of spiritual intervention to me. Luke doesn't go into any details, but I believe it's safe to assume that the same angels that ministered to Jesus after the temptations in the wilderness and after the, the struggle that he had in the Garden of Gethsemane also stepped in to protect him from early death at the hands of this hometown mob. I also believe the same is still experienced by the followers of Jesus today. It won't be until we get to heaven that we'll come to understand all the times that angels protected us from dangers, both seen and unseen. Some of y'all may need a spiritual intervention in your life. God's not holding it back from you. God's not holding it back from you. But he's not gonna force it on you. Will you believe and accept it? Because God, our Father, he loves us. He has our best interest at heart. He wants to lead us in paths that will will bring us to a place of, of wholeness and peace, knowing that we are loved, that we are forgiven, that we were chosen. Because of Christ, we can stand before the Father as holy and blameless in his sight. So Jesus is a gentleman. He won't force it on anyone. So now I'd like to go back to the scripture that Jesus read in the synagogue. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. There is another reason why Jesus' hearers were so upset with him. As we saw, he's reading straight from the book of Isaiah. But unless you go to the book of Isaiah and you read what Jesus has said, you're not going to realize that he left off a sentence. Here's the full text. It's the same as what Jesus said, except for that last sentence that Jesus left off. And the day of vengeance of our God. So Jesus read from the prophecy, but he purposely stopped short and omitted the phrase about God's vengeance. Not because it wasn't true, but Jesus knew that his hearers delighted in dwelling upon the wrath of God and desired to see it fulfilled upon their enemies. And he wasn't going to give them any more fuel for that fire. They were quick to make judgments about the pagan nations, but didn't realize their own guilt in being unloving. They themselves were in deepest need of the mercy that they were ready to deny to the Gentile nations. But unbelief had taken hold, and the people of Nazareth were blinded to their own actions and to their own needs. God's anger is against sin, not people. 
God is characterized not by his anger, wrath, and power, but by his forgiveness, mercy, and love. Micah the prophet said, who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. And oh, how much Christ wanted to extend this mercy to his own people and unveil the precious truths of God's love to them. But their spiritual blindness was so deep that it wasn't possible for them to accept the truth of his kingdom. Instead, they chose to cling to their creed and useless ceremonies, even while the truth of heaven was being offered to them to accept freely. And this was the very reason why Jesus in Luke 13 said, your house is left to you desolate. The truth of God's love was unpopular in Christ's day, and it's still unpopular today. Sadly, many times, even within the Christian church, when we allow spiritual pride to take over, then our love will wax cold. It will. When selfish prejudices grow, then we lose sight of who our neighbors are. When we become rigid, self-righteous, and proud, then we will never be able to make the service of God seem desirable to anybody on the outside looking in. Our only hope is to stay humble and keep our attention focused on Jesus. The example of Jesus is the answer of how we should treat others. The love of Jesus is the answer in responding to hate. The truth of Jesus is the answer to rejecting lies. When we depend upon ourselves, the focus of the Christian life becomes all about behavioral modification. It becomes about what we can do and spiritual pride will be the result. But when we depend fully upon Jesus, the focus of the Christian life becomes all about his spirit living in us and through us. When we focus on how bad other people are, the result will be judgment and hatred. When we focus on how loved other people are, yes, even our enemies, the results will be mercy, patience, and love. And today, we also learned that where Jesus resides, restores, and redeems is in the places where he is most welcome. Dear friends, don't you want to welcome Jesus into your life and into your marriage, into your home, to follow you to your workplace, to come with you to the grocery store, to tag along even in the nature walk through the neighborhood of the woods? When we welcome Jesus into our hearts, it releases us from every kind of bigotry and prejudice and pride. Because those things are, they're, they're holding us captive. But Jesus will free us. Amen. Break those shackles and offer freedom. Freedom to love. 
Freedom to put others first. Freedom to represent Christ's character. When we welcome in the love of Jesus, it leaves no room for the ways we used to think and feel and act toward people. Yes, even, even our enemies. As we learned a few weeks back, the gospel is not about moralizing dead people. No, it brings dead people to life. When we accept Jesus as our savior and accept his life as our life, we are resurrected from death to life. Our hearts of stone are replaced with hearts of flesh. Our sin-focused minds are renewed and restored. And our lives are changed completely. Do you accept it? Do you believe it? Most of Israel of old did not believe. Many of Israel from Jesus' day did not believe. My hope and my prayer is that for spiritual Israel, who we've all been grafted into, that we will choose to accept and believe, placing all of our faith in God's word to accomplish what he has said he will. Yes, even in your life. Dear friends, Jesus is standing within our midst, but he will not force himself upon us. Luke 4.30, it said that he was in the midst of his people, but because of their unbelief and rejection, he passed through and went his way. I pray that we do the opposite when he is in our midst. And we invite him in. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone, anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into them and dine with them and they with me. It's an open invitation. Open invitation. No prerequisites there. Come to Jesus. Choose to let him in and believe in faith that he will do all the cleaning, all the transforming, and all the changing that is necessary to reflect his character to others. Amen and amen. As we close, I'd like to offer you a practical way to apply something from today's sermon. So if you have your phones, go ahead and pull them out and take a picture of this week's secret place practice. Who are the people groups in your life that you have a hard time loving? Make a list. Maybe don't put it on your fridge. Make a private list to be burned later. (laughs) Make a list and spend some time this week praying for them. Individual names or just groups of people. Remind yourself that Jesus loves them and died for them. Give your spiritual pride and any of your prejudices over to God because born of the Spirit, you've been set free from those shackles. The accompanying text from the mouth of Jesus, Matthew 22, 39, love your neighbor as yourself. And so before we have our closing prayer, I'm gonna invite Sarah to come forward and stand at the foot of the steps. I'll have the closing prayer, then I'll step down to this side.
but I just want to open an invitation, extend the offer. If there is anybody here who has any specific needs, any special requests, we would love to hear from you, to pray with you, to lift those petitions up to the throne of grace. Maybe you have a praise Maybe something that God has been doing in your life or the life of a loved one, and you've just got to share it. We'd love to hear from you as well. And for those of you that don't need or want to come up, you will be dismissed to go to potluck. Food is awaiting. Let us pray. Our loving, gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus. Not only for his example, but for his love, his love that was poured out for each one of us on Calvary. Because of his death on the cross, we can know and believe and be assured of the forgiveness of our sins, past, present, future. But Lord, it's also because of his resurrection that we can have that same experience of passing from death into life filled with your spirit, Lord, we believe this in faith. We accept the righteousness you have given to us by faith. And Lord, now we just want to walk it out by faith. So Lord, give us opportunities this week to do a little bit of introspection and to let some things and some people and some grudges and some hatred and some jealousy, to let it go, to give it to you. Lord, Jesus came into this world to reconcile us back to you. And Lord, now you have given us the opportunity as well to reconcile the world back to you. But Lord, oftentimes before we can do that, we have to reconcile our fellow brothers and sisters of humanity back to us. So Lord, speak to us this week. Fill us with your love and your grace and your forgiveness even if we need to forgive ourselves. We give this all to you and we give ourselves to you and we ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen and amen.